0: Last week, uh, Pastor Jake kicked us off Ruth with an overview um, and kind of gave a 35 foot uh, summary of the book of Ruth. And I I want to reiterate something that he said last week. You know, um, when we were looking for a, a new sermon series to do, we did the sermon series on James and then we did some Psalms. And I had used in communion a couple of times a couple of passages from some, from Ruth and Pastor Jake goes, Hey, I, I really like those. Why don't we consider Ruth? Um, it was kind of serendipitous and, and spontaneous that we would get into Ruth. But he and I were t- discussing a little bit this morning and, and both of us are finding it so rich for us. Um, and I hope it's going to be rich for you and rich for the church as a whole. Let us pray. Father in heaven, as we come before you this morning, opening your word, we are reminded by Paul's words that all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for correction, for reproof, for training in righteousness, that we might be equipped to do the work of ministry. We pray that in our prayer this morning for ourselves. And we pray for the Holy Spirit to illumine our minds and our hearts. Give us eyes to see Jesus and then to live out our lives in a way that resembles His. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've entitled this message this morning The Road Home. And I'm going to focus on three different topics here in this text. The first being the road to nowhere. The second being the crossroads. And finally, the road less traveled. Those will be the three points in the message this morning. But I do want to take a step back um, and give a little bit perspective a little uh, my own perspective on on background. Jake did a good job in summarizing things yesterday, but I, I do want to mention a couple of things. One is this passage in Ruth will begin telling us it 's in the time of the judges, and if you 're familiar with the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus numbers, deuteronomy, Joshua, judges, Ruth, then first and second Samuel. It's quite interesting that one of the darkest periods of time is the book of Judges. It was a time of social anarchy. It was a time of spiritual apostasy. It was a time of lawlessness in Israel. Moses was taken by the Lord. Joshua leads the people of Israel into the promised land, a new generation that is fully devoted to the Lord. And yet within one generation, things go downhill. It's like a darkness, a fog comes over Israel. A a darkness so deep that if you read through Judges, and I commend you to do that, you will see this cycle that is repeated over and over and over. Where the people of Israel are judged by God through an oppressive force. Midianites, Canaanites, Moabites. All of them come in and oppress, take their food, take their possessions. But all of it is for a purpose, so they'll cry out to God, that they'll repent, that they'll think back at the law given in Deuteronomy 28, that of blessing and cursing. If you'll just obey me, if you'll walk with me, you'll have these blessings from me. But if you don't, the curse comes. Judgment comes. But God's chastisement for His people is done lovingly and kindly and graciously. There's a key word in the book of Ruth, a Hebrew word. It's hesed. If you transliterate it, it's kind of a C-H-E-S-E-D. Hesed. It means loving kindness. It means grace. It means faithfulness. And those are attributes of God towards His people. So we have this period of darkness that takes place. And then Samuel, who ends up being the last of the judges, is also in a time of war. Saul, the first king that is risen up, is at a time of war. So there's war in the period of judges amongst the people and with others and there's war afterwards. But Ruth is a beacon of light in the darkness. It's God saying "Hesed," for His people. I want to show you my loving kindness. And so He does. And that's what the book of Ruth is. Some people read the book of Ruth and say, you know what, this is a great love story. You, you, you see this young widow woman, Ruth, who goes into another land and meets a man there, Boaz, a very stand-up guy. And they get married and they have a child they live happily ever after. But if that's the only way that you see Ruth, you're missing the bigger picture. You're, you're, you're missing what Ruth is pointing toward. What all of Scripture points toward is Jesus. That's where this is going to go. The whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation is all about redemptive history. It's how God is working all the time, seen and unseen, to bring about His plan of salvation for His people. And though we don't know the author, that's what the author is trying to tell us. Ruth is parallel to Job. It's really, I believe, more intended for the readers than it is for Naomi, for Ruth, for Boaz. They, They are simply the characters in this part of the history of redemption for God. To play it out. Let let me show you, God says, how through insignificant, ordinary, everyday people, I'm in the background. Constantly working. Constantly showing you loving kindness. Constantly being faithful toward you. You may see pain. You may see suffering. You may see things differently. But you don't see the whole picture. And so the author of Ruth is trying to pull back the veil and saying, let me show you how great this God is, how loving this God is. Let me show you how redemption works. God takes the initiative. And so that's what we have in this book of Ruth. It is a love story, but it's God's love story for His people. God's love story for His people. Well, what about this road to nowhere? Ruth begins in the first five verses. What starts out to be a good idea turns into disastrous tragedy. It says in the days when the judges ruled, it's that darkness that I've talked about there was a problem in Bethlehem there was a famine now if you read through the law if you read through Deuteronomy you will find that the reason of that famine is because of disobedience unfaithfulness by the people of God God says in in Deuteronomy that he will make the sky like bronze and the earth, the land, like iron, if you disobey me. In other words, you're not going to have any rain. And if you don't have rain, you won't have food. And so, for the people of Israel, the people of Bethlehem, which, by the way, Bethlehem means house of bread. Isn't that ironic? In the house of bread, there is no bread. There's a famine in the land. But the famine is brought on by the disobedience of the people. First lesson for us to think about. It's not that everything that happens to us is because of our sinful behavior, but we are a sinful people. It it, it should be on the diagnostic checklist for us to go through. If, If something comes our way and things aren't going very well, Lord, did I miss something here? Now, again, that's not always the case. Sometimes it's actions and circumstances that are done against you. But at the same time, we should ask the question, Lord, what are You doing here? I, we can get so caught up so quickly in the circumstance. We can be, have the blinders like a racehorse and only looking in one direction. And we'll see that in Naomi's life. Naomi will talk about, as Pastor Jake t- said last week, about bitterness how she's been treated bitterly. But what I told you in the introduction is God's working behind the scenes in His loving kindness. Naomi has no idea how the story ends, but God does. And praise God that we have the whole counsel of the Word of God. We know how the story ends. We of all people should have even more hope than what these characters here have in the book of Ruth. So there's a famine in the land. And it says there's a man from Bethlehem, the house of bread. And he and Naomi decide to take their two boys and head off to Moab. Now one would have to think a little bit, is this a good decision to make? I I, I mean, it's Judges chapter 3. It's early in Judges that it's the Moabites that afflict the people of Israel. Would you want to go into enemy territory? Think about that. It's also the Moabites that that God said because they didn't take bread and water to the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt, none of them will be allowed into the congregation of our people to the 10th generation. There was a curse on the Moabites. Now there's nothing particular in Scripture that says that you can't go there Israelites, Jews. But if they would have looked to the Word of God, they may have had a different perspective. You remember Abraham and Lot? And they were both becoming very wealthy. A lot of sheep and goats, cattle and such, they, they, to the point they couldn't stay together. And, and Abraham said, we, we can't do this. Our, our shepherds are fighting with one another. We have, we have to separate. Lot, you choose. You, you say where you want to go. Where does Lot's eyes go? In what is the land of Moab? Across the Jordan? Across the Dead Sea? And what did he see? He saw green pastures out there. Brothers and sisters, we need to be careful about how we look at things in life. We so easily can walk by sight and not by faith. We, we can so easily think about the circumstances and go, I got this. I've got a plan. I've got a better way. I'm going to do this. That's what Elimelech does. And Naomi's with him. We don't know the conversations that they had as a husband and wife, but I'd like to think that their, that their conversations was a lot like conversations that I have with Gayla or anybody else in this room has with their spouse. It's not like Scripture says that women are silent. Eve was active in Genesis. Here, Adam, eat this. Okay? She played a part. Sarah says, you know, the, the Lord promised His child this isn't happening. I, we got to come up with a better plan here, Abram. Here's my, here's my handmaid. Take her. That, that's making choices based on sight, based on our own reasoning. But Jesus Himself says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. What was driving this decision? Where's the bread? Where's the bread? We see that in the people that follow Jesus they were in it for the bread so forget about moses the moabites being enemies of us forget about the fact that god has cursed them for forget about other passages you talk about we're not supposed to intermarry that's in deuteronomy chapter 7 you have all these things that god has already told you as the people of god and yet all of that you throw out the window and you go i want my stomach filled But think about what they do here. (laughs) They leave Bethlehem, the house of bread. They they leave the country, the land of promise, where God's presence is. Not that he isn't present elsewhere, but that's where he is. And they leave the people of God. That that's like us, brothers and sisters, saying, You know what, I've got this. I'm gonna go move out into the country. I don't need y'all. I don't need worship on Sunday. I I don't need accountability partners. I don't need anything. I got this. And down the road, it's like, help. I'm in trouble. So they go following their bellies. What's in a name? What's in a name? It's interesting how the author of Ruth pulls out these names that we have in the book of Ruth. I think Jake mentioned this last week. Elimelech. Eli Melech. Means my God is king. Elimelech doesn't live up to his name. His God is no more king than flight of the moon. He's doing things according to himself. Naomi, her name means Pleasant. Or pleasantness. She's happy. She's married. She's got a husband. She's got two kids. Got my family. Let's go on a road trip. It says it. they intended just to sojourn there. That means a, a short time. But by the end of chapter, verse 2, it says they remained there. They set up camp. Like Lot had gone to the land, and then the next thing you know, he's living in Sodom. It's easy for us to drift, brothers and sisters. I am not judging them here. I'm looking at my own heart. I hope you are too. It is so easy for us to be so comfortable in our own lives to think that we have it all under control. And we don't. We don't. We are in desperate need of God. So they get there. They're living there. And Elimelech dies. The first tragedy happens. Then the second tragedy, the two sons take Moabite wives. They weren't to intermarry. They were warned that if they took other tribes, other nations' wives, that they would lead them astray to their gods. That was the problem. So they marry wives. Wives. Orpah and Ruth. And they're there for about ten years, and then the two sons, Malon and Kilion, die. What's in the name? Malon means sterile, sickly. Killion means spent, frail. Now these are probably nicknames used by the author. But what he's saying is these two men were wanting, lacking. They learned a lot from their father, whose name was My God is King, but he really wasn't. And so you have two men that really aren't much of men. Not godly men. I'm not talking about a type A personality, bodybuilder, football player. I'm just talking about a man after God's own heart. They're not that type of man. And before you know it, what looked like greener pastures was the road to nowhere. Death, destruction, tragedy, the family torn apart, other expenses... That might be entailed later, no inheritance, no protection, no provision. All those things are gone. Naomi's in a foreign land. It's as if she wakes up one day and goes, What have I done? Have you been there? Lord, what have I done? What 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 have I done? I've been on this road to nowhere and I've neglected You, Lord, and I've neglected Your people when I needed them the most. But what does God do? What He always does. He brings the Gospel. He brings the good news. And in verse 6 of this passage where we get into... The crossroads, the returning, the turning that takes place. This word "return," or "go back" or "turn" is used 10 times in this passage. It should speak loud to us. It means going from one direction to another. Doesn't that sound familiar? God said's word somehow some way to His people. In this case, Naomi is in the fields of Moab. She would have been gleaning because she was the alien. She's having to get the little crumbs, the little leftovers. You had to work hard. You were like a slave. And while she's in that field, she hears that the Lord, the covenant-keeping God, has visited His people. God has come down, is what that means. He is blessing His people again. The good news of the voice of one crying in the wilderness, so to speak, comes to Naomi. It it, it so energizes her, even though she's a widow, even though she is somewhat a slave and an alien in a foreign land, it's the good news to get on the road home. And what I mean by the road home is the road back to God. It's the road that we all need to be on. This was Naomi's crossroads. What are you going to do, Naomi? Here's the word. There's food again in Bethlehem. But it's food that is provided by God. That is not to be neglected in this passage. It's given to them by God. And it's interesting that food there is the word lechem, which is bread. And so in her exuberance, she goes, we got to go. And they take off. She takes off and she takes, packs up whatever little she has. And she takes Orpah and she takes Ruth. But Naomi at this point is one that is weak in faith. She's weak in faith. All of a sudden they're walking along and Naomi goes, hang on a second. Am am I crazy? Reality begins to set in. I'm a widow. I've got nothing. I'm going to go back and hopefully my family will take me in and take care of me. But i got to think about myself right now. I've got these other two mouths to feed and these other two women to clothe. I I can't do that. Again, she doesn't go to God. Saying, God, I know that You will supply all my needs according to Your riches and glory she starts thinking about how am I going to handle this situation again. And, and so she decides that she goes, you know what, I, I have the best interest of my daughters-in-law in mind. I, they're better off if they just go home to their own mothers. That, that's really, if they follow me, they're, it's just like my road to nowhere. This is going to be their road to nowhere. It's not their country. It's not their people. It's not their God. Who Who am I? To tell them what to do, so I'm going to tell them what I think they should do, and that's to go back, and that's what she does. And then, like a someone weak in faith, and I'm guilty of this; I've been guilty of this. We we like to sprinkle a little religion on it. Okay, I'm going to think about it. She, She is a follower of Yahweh. The one true God, the only deliverer, the only Savior in the world. She knows that, and God has proved Himself or and or. And yet, for her to think that what's best for these two women, whether they're Moabites or not, whether they're Gentiles, so to speak, that the best thing for them is to go back to a country that is godless, That does idol worship. Seamus is their god. You know what they do there? They give the firstborn. You you want to throw them in a place worse than what Israel is during the period of Judges. You think that's dark? That's pitch black. But she sprinkles this in. She goes, may the Lord deal kindly, chesed, with you. As you've dealt with the dead and with me and the Lord grant you find rest that's the wilderness that's a God forsaken land so to speak but Naomi's kind of straddling the fence she's thinking about herself and what she's got to do and how she can cover herself she can't think beyond herself at this point I got to take care of me first and then maybe I can get around to them later what about the Moabites around us how many, how many times do we pass by people that we shouldn't pass by? How many neighbors do we have that we have never said anything to them? Because we think, oh, they're not interested. They're Moabites. They're Hindu. They're, they're, they're Buddhists. They're not interested in the Gospel. And we decide that for ourselves. When, when we know that the Word of God is the power of God unto salvation. It's not about us. But this is a crossroads for Naomi. And she's getting a C (laughs) minus. She does decide to go back. She does sprinkle in a little bit of God. And you know what? It's enough information for Ruth. Because the other two that are at the crossroads right now are Orpah and Ruth. Ruth. Naomi goes on after they contend, no, we want to stay with you. They, they love and respected Naomi so much that they saw that there was some form of blessing with her. But she says, no, you, you, need to, you need to go. They said, no, we'll return with you and your people. She says, no, turn back, my daughters. Don't go with me. Now she wants to put reality in their face. What is the reality that they're headed for? I can't give you another husband. I'm spent myself. Even if I had a husband now and had kids, are you going to wait for them? No, you won't do that. You're, you're you're headed for a country that's full of people that hate you. They hate you. They're enemies. You're enemies. You, you, your future would look something like this. No husband, no inheritance, no provision, no security, no people, no family. You'll be on the road to nowhere. Orpah doesn't need much more encouragement than that. She goes, I'm out of here. She goes, she's right. I'm better off staying here. But Ruth clung today only. That word clung is the same word that's used in Genesis 2.24. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. They'll be joined together and they cannot be separated. Why is she doing that? One more time, Naomi tries to push her away, kind of give her the stiff arm, if you will. Says, look at your sister-in-law. She's gone back to her people and gone back to her gods. Ruth wants no part of it. Ruth wants to get on the road less traveled. The narrow way the choir sang about. Because Ruth has been converted. Th- this passage goes on to talk about her testimony and what she thinks about God and who He is. Ruth Ruth is like this. She says, Naomi, I want you to listen to me. Listen to me. Don't try to push me off. Don't, don't try to tell me to leave you. I'm I'm going to follow you. And where you go, I go. Where you live, I live. And then the why comes. Your people shall be my people. And your God shall be my God. That should be familiar language to us. Back in Exodus, as I was teaching through that that book some years ago, That was the one theme that God is trying to show His people. I will be your God and you will be my people. But not only that, the promise that was made to Abraham, that you will then be a light so that the world will know that I am the Lord God. Ruth got that from the witness that Naomi had from the time they were together, whatever that might have been. And the little sprinkling of religion, may the Lord Deal kindly with you and give you rest. Ruth gets it. Do you, you remember when you heard the gospel that first time and you believed? Literally it was like the light went on and it went from darkness to light. And all of a sudden you didn't understand everything, but you understood enough to know that Jesus is the God man, that he is the savior. That you were at a crossroads and His cross is now putting you on a new road to follow Him, to serve Him, to love Him, to trust in Him. That is the testimony that Ruth gives here. Your people shall be My people, your God, My God. She believes that so passionately that she even calls God as her witness. May the Lord do so to me, and also, more also, if anything but death departs me from you. In, in other words, if this isn't a profession that's true and real, then the Lord strike me down. But I'm going on the road home. Home. is a natural phenomenon for all humanity. Yes, there may be some people that don't have homes. But every day, we get up, most of us, and we leave home. We go to school. We go to work. We go to the grocery store. We come to church to worship on Sunday mornings. We go on business trips. We go on vacations. But it doesn't take long for us to as much as those are fulfilling things that we do in our vocation, brings us joy, vacations and such, there comes a point where we begin to long for home. There's a longing that needs to be filled. And either at the end of the day, the end of a week or a month, whatever the time is that we're away, we're looking to go back home. But the one thing that they get right here at the very beginning of Ruth is they when they look to go away, it was just a sojourn. Rich Mullins has a song called The Land of My Sojourn, where he, he talks about America and how it is to be an American. And he says, I will call you my country, but you will never be my home. There is a greater home for us. But the road that leads us home is the one that's less travelled. It's the one that we have to count the cost like Ruth does. Jesus in Luke 14 says, if you're going to follow me, you better count the cost. No one looks to build a building and get it started and then not finish. No general goes into war with 10,000 men and figure out how to fight 20,000 men without considering the cost of it all. What is the cost? Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow Christ. That's what it means to believe. That's what it means to trust. Ruth found that place. Ruth found that place. Well, let me get to a couple of items of practical application this morning. We've, we've talked about these road to nowhere and crossroads and then the road less traveled. Here's some questions for you to consider. Do you live by sight and not by faith? Are you handling too many things on your own? Most of us deny that right away, say, mm, I, I don't. I I trust in the Lord. I'm going to do that. I would say, really? Many of us lived in silos. I make these decisions based on my spiritual life. And so I will talk to elders. I'll talk to pastors. I'll talk to deacons. I'll talk to brothers and sisters. Seek wisdom and discernment in those areas because it's a spiritual area. But I won't in other areas. A couple of years ago, I had a conversation with with someone in the church. They were thinking about making a career change. Want to know what I thought about it. I said, well, I'm glad you asked. I actually recently read a book. Jonathan Lehman. If you know, Dave Lehman used to be a choir director here. His son is part of Capitol Hills Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. He wrote a book called Church Membership. One of the things that's interesting in the book that he really steps on toes, but I think he's right, he says every decision, everything that we do should not be separated, should not separate us from our relationship with Christ. So what I have in him, he directs, he guides my paths. Peter says in his second epistle that he has given us everything to lot for life and godliness. Both spheres, so to speak. My personal spheres and my spiritual spheres. They all go together. There's no separation between the two. Listen, this career change that was being considered, the one thing that I ask, is there a good church there? Is there a place to exercise your spiritual gifts? Well, those are good questions. Or do I look at just going somewhere else because it's a promotion, it's more money, I can have a bigger house. My kids can go to better schools. See what I mean? Do, do, do we think holistic about our relationship with Christ? It doesn't mean we can't go after promotions. But it means that we don't separate our lives. And I live in this one sphere, and I control this one, and God, you control this other one. But then when things go bad in the other one, first thing I do is, hey, can you pray for me about this? I'm having problems over here. Why do we wait? Are there any Moabites in your life? Think about that one. Do you have a list of people that you pray for? I have a short list I need to add to it. Do you have people that you pray for their salvation? Do you pray for yourself like Paul asked for prayer to have a boldness to proclaim the gospel to others? To evangelize? It's a lost world. Have you forgotten God's grace? It's so easy to do. He is so good to us. We take it for granted each and every day. Maybe it's time that you think about God's grace again. Think about the new birth that you had in Him. Maybe it's time to repent. Maybe you need a little restoration, a little reorientation to Christ that He becomes your first love again, your passion. And finally, do you need Jesus? Contemplate that. Do you need Jesus? I would say emphatically, we all need Jesus. Every moment of every day. And shame on us when we forget. That's why we need this. That's why we need membership within the church. That's why we need to come alongside one another to encourage and build one another up in the faith. Ruth is going to be the encouragement to Naomi. She will be the newbie, the infant believer. But her passion, her fire ignites Naomi and her faith grows with every chapter in Ruth. Church, that's what we're supposed to be doing. Encouraging one another, building them up in the faith, equipping them to do the work of ministry, and then reaching out to the Moabites in our lives. It's that simple. God, help us all to do that. Let us pray. Father in heaven, Lord, this love letter from you to us is so convicting. Father, it shows us our own lives. All the things that happen to us, the pain and the suffering, the th- the affliction, things that bring bitterness into our own lives, and yet you are working in the background. The other side of the tapestry that we cannot see, but you, through your word, reveal that it is true. That you are working out our salvation, that you are sanctifying us, that you are bringing us more and more into the image of Christ to a point of glorification in the resurrection that is to come. Father, give us the courage to want to follow you whatever the cost, to be witnesses to the world around us and to be covenant partners, covenant family members with those here today. In Jesus' name, amen.